back on. All right. We're continuing in our series going through Matthew chapter 5. Um, we, uh, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And um, today we're going to be touching on potentially one of Jesus's most dangerous and most over, overridingly different than, than our heart's nature uh, teachings that we possibly could. Um, we're going to be uh, talking about retaliation today. Last week we talked about oaths. We talked about the purpose of oaths, the, um, the distinctiveness of oaths. Make sure this is working. Um, and, and also why the Christian values oaths and it, it being connected directly to God and his ability to keep all of his promises. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer before we read our passage for today. Lord, I ask for you to soften our hearts. I ask for you to uh, speak to us today from your word and, and convict us and confront us. And knowing that there's not a single one of us today who's not going to feel some sort of conviction in the midst of your words. I, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to, to listen graciously, um, to have a hum humility that allows us to accept these things, because they are, they, they, are, they are not our heart, but they are your heart, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 5. Good. I printed the wrong bulletin this morning, and I got them mixed up, and it had the wrong verses. But starting in verse 38, uh, let's go ahead and read God's word. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so the, the, while the word of this particular year is probably the word unprecedented, because that's what you hear in every single news broadcast is the word unprecedented. Unprecedented pandemic, unprecedented fires, unprecedented response, unprecedented, you know, the, the word unprecedented is like every other five seconds. Uh, you know, this, you could almost count to 15 before you hear somebody say that word again. Uh, the, the, the word of our text, the, the word of this section of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Mount, would be probably best be known as antitheses, meaning what me, meaning you've heard this, but I'm going to give you an antithetical viewpoint. I'm going to give you a word, or I'm going to give you something that maybe adds to or detracts from the previous understanding, and I'm going to tell you what you really should be doing. And these are some of Jesus' most practical, most proverbial statements that we could run into. Um, Today, as we just read, we're going through eye for an eye. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard 
Um, oh, this is this, by the way, is what we're working toward. Just like just like the previous weeks in the bulletin, you've got the sermon summary. So this is what you've got in there, and then you've got two slots. There's two points today, just two, not four, not fifteen, just two. Um, but but being attention, be paying attention to what is a sermon point. So our sermon summary for today: A Christian should not seek out their own justice, but should repay injustice with willing submission and forgiveness, entrusting final justice to God. So that's where we're going to be working towards. So let's let's talk about an eye for an eye here. You guys heard that phrase somewhere other than church? I mean, it's pretty. It, it, just just the thought, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, makes total sense to us, right? If if you're on a schoolyard, right, and one boy socks another boy in the mouth, what does the other boy do? Socks him in the mouth, right? Like, you're going to hit me, I'm going to hit you back. It's, this this is natural, right? Or, uh, or, or somebody takes your pencil, right, just reaches over, snatches your pencil. <laughs> you think that's okay. I'm going to take my pencil, and I'm also going to take your pencil. I'm going to take your pen or your smelly marker because those are like gold in elementary school. Those smelly markers. So, <laughs> so the uh, so you don't know what a smelly marker is? They smell like fruit, uh, sugar. I'll get you some. I'll get you some. <laughs> so, so uh, eye for an eye makes total sense, right? You knock out. You punch me in the eye. I'm gonna punch you in the eye. Take my tooth. I'm gonna take your tooth. And that is exactly how the Pharisees had understood this particular principle: is is if you, if you know, if if somebody causes harm, you cause harm, you cause harm back. That's what we call retaliation. But in terms of the biblical narrative, that that understanding is not what God had said. Imagine that somebody misunderstood what God had said. So if we were to turn to the two references. Uh, which which are Exodus 21, uh, verses 22 to 24, and Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 to 21, where we read the statement, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, we would actually find out it's not about retaliation. It's about justice. And retaliation and justice seem close together, but but they're they're very different, and we'll work our way towards that. All right, so so you don't need to turn to Exodus twenty one, but Exodus twenty one twenty two to twenty four is a very distinct situation. It's actually talking about when two men are fighting, two men are go, going at each other, they're fighting with each other, and one of them strikes a pregnant woman in the room, and the pregnant woman gives birth, and the child dies. Then a judge should impose a judgment on that man, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. So, uh, it, it's, it's meant to be an accidental striking, um, but if the child dies, the offender should lose his life. If, if, if the child is injured, comes out without an arm, then you should the judge should make sure that he imposes a similar judgment, because this man has harmed a child. This man has harmed a pregnant woman, has harmed a child, and, and therefore he needs to have some sort of a sentence brought, up, brought upon him. It's supposed to be something that strikes fear, right? Like you, you, I mean, if you think about it, pregnant ladies, especially very pregnant ladies, are not very quick to react if a scuffle breaks out, right? 
they, 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 the natural inkling is to protect the child, and the natural inkling of the father should be to protect the child as well. So this is an accidental striking. But the child dies, so the offender should die. And then, uh, again, imposed by a judge. Then you've got Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15 to 21. This situation is different. Actually, this situation is explaining the need for multiple witnesses in an offense. Because if there's only one witness, so if it's a one-on-one -on -one battle, one guy says one thing, one says another, how do you tell the difference between the two? Well, you can't. I mean, maybe one's more trustworthy, but just because somebody's not trustworthy doesn't mean they're not telling the truth. So uh, what, what that section of verses is talking about is when the first party that brings up the offense is lying is not telling the truth. And so then the second party, the defendant, calls for another witness, and you find out that that first dude is totally making this up. And again, the judge should then Im impose the judgment. Whatever, whatever that guy was going for, right? Like, he's say it's making up a situation. Like, he ran into my car and, and, and damaged my fender, and he needs to pay for my fender. Well... Find out he's lying. Find out there's another witness that, that says, no, you ran into his car, man. Then that means that the judge should go, all right, you know what? You're lying. We now have evidence that you're lying. So therefore, you're paying for the, for the other guy's bumper. He's not paying for yours. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, life for life. And that's actually Deuteronomy 19.21. The whole point of this, again, is to strike fear in Israel. Like, you need to be, as a nation, you need to be so concerned about telling the truth, about honoring God, about doing the right thing, that you, you see these things happen that are unjust, and you respond by living, uh, living, living an orderly life. So Deuteronomy 19.21, the conclusion, Your eye shall not pity, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So that's not at all about retaliation, is it? That does not okay. This phrase, an eye for an eye, does not okay the schoolboy fight where one kid gets punched and the other kid punches back. That's not what it's talking about. And you, you come to the time of Jesus and the principal eye for an eye, meaning judgment for judgment, justice for justice, has been distorted. It's no longer about justice from a judge or from a court. Instead, it was about personal retribution. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth had been twisted to mean something different than God meant when he said those words. It was being used to legitimize seeking your own vengeance, your own retaliation, your own justice. So when Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, but I say to you, he's not changing it. Just like all these others, he's not changing it. He's saying, you got this wrong. Let me tell you what it actually means. So let's, let's talk about retaliation for a moment. Why, why, why do we desire to retaliate? Um, like, I, I grew up, I, I mean, I was born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s and the early 2000s when the best action movies were ever made. Bruce Willis, 
you know, ah, oh, die hard. Anyway, <laughs> I watched all those movies, and you know what? You know what justice is in those movies? Is when the good guy kills all the bad guys. Really, the, the main bad guy, but that gratuitous violence that leads up to the final conclusion, that final fight. Yeah, that's the best part, right? It's like, it's like the next stage of the cowboy movies, right? Cowboy movies were always one guy versus one guy, but now it's one guy versus a hundred guys. And he's crawling through ductwork in, in, in the Nakatomi Plaza. So, <laughs> so um, I mean, that, that's, that's what I grew up watching. I get retaliation, right? Like, this, this is what my heart desires. But that's not real, nor is the Nakatomi Plaza, which is always funny. Every year when the anniversary of the Nakatomi Plaza terrorist attack comes on, people post about it on Facebook. Um, <laughs> so I, I find humor in that. Um, but why, why do we desire to retaliate? Because retaliation by itself is actually a deep-seated desire in our, our hearts to make justice happen. That's not a, necessarily a bad thing, right? To bring justice? Oh, it's a good thing to bring justice. And sometimes it's because a true injustice has happened. Maybe, maybe a lie or, or a half-truth as we talked about in our group on Thursday, uh, a, a lie or a half-truth has been told, and it's defaming a person, a, an organization, or their, you know, the, the cred credibility, right? Their street cred, their credibility. Um, or maybe, maybe ourselves or a friend or a family member has been the victim of a crime or abuse. We want justice. Or maybe oppression has happened perhaps under the guise of a political or racial agenda, or it could just be due to that individual being a, 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 a racist and that oppression happens in the store, right? I, I, I'm in a group of church planters and replanters, and, and I read about a, a story of a guy that owned a store in New Mexico, middle of Nowheresville, New Mexico, and that store was known for just having racist signs everywhere. Wouldn't serve blacks. Wouldn't wouldn't serve Hispanics. Uh, and and finally, finally, this guy sold his business, and the sweet lady bought it. And so this church planner is praising God, like he was praising. He was hoping that this guy would come to salvation to realize that 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 these things are awful. They 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 remove the dignity of other people. But instead, God answered with a different different answer. He brought in a sweet lady, who's attending the church that. That, uh, that this guy's replanting. So oppression does happen, or, or maybe, maybe the, the injustice is that earthly justice lost the battle. You ever, you ever had a lawsuit or a criminal court case or something just not go the way you intended? Like maybe, maybe you're watching it. Maybe, maybe the defendant's name is O.J. Simpson. Too soon? Anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, you see this evidence happening and, and the, all the points are adding up and then it, it ends up getting determined in a way that you wouldn't anticipate. Seeking justice in that seems like a good thing, right? Ultimately, we want to retaliate because we desire to right wrongs, to, uh, to change a wrong that we're just not seeing fixed. Uh, to correct an injustice, right? That's that's why we retaliate, and it could be something personal. It could be something something like maybe your neighbor plays their music too loud. So what do you do? You turn up your music or your news or your TV shows, 
not just so you can hear it anymore, but now it's because you want to outdo the neighbor. Um, that may or may not be the reason I have a very large stereo speaker set that I got when I lived in Wilsonville. Uh, it's not, actually. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but right, we retaliate in these ways. They built their fence too far on your side, so you're going to go ahead and install your, uh, your, your sprinkler system underneath that fence and around into their, their yard plot. Or maybe they park in your parking space. Oh, that's the worst, right? Maybe you've got one parking space and they're blocking your, the, your way to get home. So, so what do you do? You park in their yard. <laughs> you take your truck and you just drive right up into their daisies and get out of your car and go home. <laughs> that's, uh, but, but we retaliate because we see something wrong and we want to right it. Or maybe, maybe a friend said something unkind to you. And so what do you do? You're unkind back. You get punched in the nose, you punch them in the nose. We retaliate because our sense of personal justice has been violated, and we need to right it. So point number one, retaliation does not produce righteousness. Retaliation by nature is punitive. Right? It's for punishment. It punishes for evil, but it's not in the business of correcting evil. Because what happens, what happens when that, that schoolyard fight starts, right? Kid gets socked in the face, other kid socks the other kid in the face. Does that, does that, does that solve the crime? Does that end the fight right then and there? No. No, it maybe it busts into the friends going at each other, or maybe maybe it turns into just an all-out brawl underneath the uh, underneath a cherry tree, right? Like they're two kids just beating on each other, and it takes a teacher to run in and say, "Stop, stop, 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 stop." And what happens to those kids? They both get in trouble. And what do they both try to say? Well, he hit me first. <laughs> Retaliation is not about correcting evil ever. Retaliation is about punishment. Retaliation also should not be confused with discipline, right? Because discipline has an intended, uh, an intended result in growth. And our prison systems are a prime example of the failure of retaliation, right? Prison is not designed to be reform. Prison is designed to be punishment. It's, it's an extended timeout <laughs> where, where you're subbed in a, solved in a, or shoved into a jail cell, right? And, uh, and what happens when a kid goes in timeout? Maybe they learn their lesson, but most of the time it's punishment and they just want to get out of timeout. Doing time in prison does not produce growth in a person's life. Usually what happens is a person that goes to prison meets somebody else who uh, maybe this person is, is about reform. Maybe it's a, a prison chaplain or maybe it's a pastor or maybe it's another inmate who's who's reading God's word or really really wants to turn their life around, whatever it is, and they get connected with that person and they both grow. They both reform, but they're not reforming because of prison. They're reforming because they're getting close to somebody. And, uh, and, and honestly, if the prison system, system worked, we wouldn't have so many repeat offenders. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with taking, the, taking bad people off the streets. That's not what I mean. That's not what I'm, I'm preaching here. But what I'm saying is that prison by itself is not reforming. There has to be something that happens in prison. And parental discipline, right? 
that's that's different than retaliation, or at least it should be different than retaliation. I'm sure uh, I'm sure some of you were disciplined as kids, and it was actually secretly retaliation guised as as discipline, right? Um, the parents were just so mad that they took it out on you. Um, I'm sure that's what you're forming in your mind was every form of discipline, but I promise it wasn't. <laughs> but but retaliation ultimately doesn't produce righteousness. Why? Because it's trying to create justice. It's not living in any form of righteousness. It's trying to fashion justice in our own image. It's trying to fashion justice in, in what we think is right. And it's with a single person as a judge, jury, and executioner. And point two, the righteous do not retaliate. Now we're diving back into the text. We're, we're coming to the part where it's really going to hit us. Intellectually, we might have just grasped everything we just talked about, but let's get to the heart here. In, in, in a, a very good example of this is found in James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, but especially in James 5, 6. Just to explain what's going on there, James is condemning the rich. He's saying, you are trying to make the poor suffer. That is not okay. He says this in James 5, 6. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Wait, what, what person? If you were to read James 5, you would find that the righteous person is actually the poor. And he's condemning the rich, right? He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you at all. So, he's, so James is trying to point out that the righteous Christian, he does, he's not resisting. He's not fighting back. He's not causing trouble. He's actually just accepting it. And you are killing him, you rich jerks. Another piece of evidence would be King Saul. Do you remember that? Do you remember David? So if there was ever a person that should have gotten personal justice, it might have been David. David was a good servant of the king. He was not trying to usurp the throne, uh, but instead Saul just goes batty and starts trying to kill him, saying, you are trying to take my throne. And even though David had been promised the kingdom, he, he, was, just, he was a good servant. So David flees, he's hiding, and there are two times, not one, two times, 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26, where David has Saul's life right there. He could have killed him. He could have ended his suffering. David was living in caves, and Saul was living in palaces. Actually, he was living in tents because he was so, so dedicated to killing David that he decided to live in the middle of nowhere, chasing after him time and time again. So in one situation, King Saul is taking a leak in a cave. <laughs> he's, he's urinating in a cave, and David could come up and he could slit his throat, but instead of slitting his throat, he comes up, cuts off the hem of the garment, and stands back and says, Saul, why are you chasing me? I could have killed you, but I didn't. See, David didn't seek retaliation. He wasn't trying to create justice. He spared Saul's life. And 1 Samuel 26, uh, 7-13 is, is situation number two. But he didn't seek retribution. He didn't seek retaliation. Instead, he decided to continue on with what the Lord had planned of his life, of running away and living in caves, which eventually turned into him uh, living in Jerusalem. 
But the most important lack of retaliation is found in Jesus' life, isn't it? Not only did Jesus not retaliate, but he welcomed the most unrighteous, unjust condemnation of all time. Jesus never once sinned. John 13, 27 is, is uh, and, and also not only that, but he, he pushed, pushed this whole thing into play, right? So John 13, 27, then after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, Jesus turns to him and said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus welcomed, welcomed, welcomed punishment that wasn't just. Welcomed it. Can you say that of yourself? Do you welcome punishment? I mean, even when it's just, we don't welcome it. <laughs> even when it's just, we fight it with everything that we are. Jesus, who was so nervous about this punishment that prior to the to the, to, to the high priest guard coming and, and taking him, that he's sweating blood. And his friends won't even wait up with him and pray. They keep falling asleep. Jesus, so nervous about taking on the sin of all that he would save, in Luke 22, the soldiers come up to arrest him, and he stops Peter from retaliating. He stops him. Peter had a sword. He cuts off a dude's ear. Get away from my teacher. You ain't going to step on my Jesus. Cuts off a guy's ear. Then what does Jesus do? Does he retaliate? No. John 18, 10 through 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I love that that's a parenthesis in, 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 our, in the Bible for us. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Then he heals the servant's ear. Again, Luke 22, 22.51 specifically. An act of sheer kindness toward his oppressors. An act of sheer grace to a guy that had come to arrest him, to mock him, to abuse him, to make him suffer unjustly. And Jesus heals him. So looking at the text again, let's talk about retaliation. Let's talk about, let's talk about what Jesus says retaliation or a lack of retaliation looks like. Verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Did Jesus resist the one who is evil? No, he accepted this punishment from evil, unjust people. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is five circumstances, right? Someone slaps you in the face. What do you do? Do you slap them back? No, actually, you, you turn your cheek. You accept that they're going to slap you a second time. Thing number two, if someone sues you, bless them with more than they would have taken. I know you, we don't often get sued. Well, we don't often get sued, praise God. But if we get sued, I mean, we fight 
so that we don't have to pay a single penny, right? We fight so that we're not going to have to suffer at the hands of this unjust, you know, turd that's, uh, that's suing me, right? Whatever's going on, we are going to fight it. Now, Jesus says, take, take what the judge decides and give them more. Situation number three, someone forces you to go one mile. All right, so there's two sides of this, right? Let's, let's, let's say you're kidnapped, uh, and they drag you along, and you're a servant for a time uh, in this kidnapping. You go with them an extra, an extra, an extra, like double the amount of time, right? So maybe, maybe that's what Jesus is talking about. I think more realistically, it's when you get roped into something that you didn't want to do. <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, I'm going to help you uh, for an hour, right? That's my deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you for an hour. Well, then that hour turns into two hours, and then that turns into three hours. And then when, when you're really beat and you really want to go home and you're done, go home for another, you know, stay for another hour. Stay longer. Nobody likes those situations. So you get sucked into a road trip, and the person you're with wants to go to every single attraction on the way. And all you want to do is get from point A to point B, but now you're looking at the world's largest ball of cheese that's been rotten for 30 years. Who cares? But here you are, suffering to the glory of God at a ball of cheese or yarn or whatever it is. I don't, I don't know what those roadside attractions are. So uh, my dad never stopped at them. I always wanted to. I'm like, Dad, there's a sign that says worlds. And he's like, if it starts with worlds, we're not going. <laughs> world's biggest, world's greatest, I don't care. Let's get Dairy Queen. Uh, <laughs> but, but again, that would be retaliation, would be to be in, sucked into this situation and find out it's going to last longer than you think, and you're like, all right, dude, I, I, can't, I can't go any longer. Uh, situation number four, give to the beggar, knowing they can't repay you. Give to the one who begs from you. Does a beggar ever return? Are they a good return on investment? If you give a beggar $20, could you maybe get $25 next week from them back? <laughs> no. Yeah, right. They hit you up for another 20, right? Jesus says, give to them. Give to them, knowing they can't pay you back. And then, situation number five, since you're given to the beggar, Probably shouldn't refuse the borrower either. The person that says, can I borrow your chainsaw? I'll return it next week. Probably see it next month, if at all. <laughs> um, so think of all those situations in terms of Jesus, right? Jesus got slapped in the face by us. We caused the fall of mankind. Not you and I specifically, but... Uh, our, our forefathers, or our forefather Adam and our foremother, if you can use that phrase, Eve, right? They brought the fall of mankind. Uh, Jesus, God, in his triune goodness, right? God should be like, all right, you rebellious little jerks. Not only am I not going to give you, not only am I not going to let you ruin this world, but I'm not going to give you air. Let's see how long you last without air. That's how, that's how God should have responded if he was retaliatory. But he wasn't. Or if someone sues you, Jesus took the greatest debt of all our sin. He took it from us. He took it. He took it. 
We don't shove our sin in front of Jesus and say, God, can you please clean this up? No, instead he takes it from us, took on our punishment, our condemnation. He, he wasn't even sued by us, and yet he paid for our conviction. We are but beggars, beggars in need of grace and mercy, and Jesus gives to us freely, constantly, and, and with, without, without pause. Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that wonderful news that God is not a retaliatory, mean, vindictive God? That instead that he would come into this world of sinners that, that continue to wreck the world with, 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 with corruption and with fires, and yet he gives us love and mercy and grace, sheer uh, abounding grace. Listen, none of these situations is ideal. It's not good to be sued. But instead of saying, well, I'm going to make life miserable for this guy suing me, we as Christians should not seek our own justice. That's what Jesus is saying. This is not me saying it. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> this is one of the, one of the struggles I have with, with Grace Community Church in, in, in California, man. Like, I don't know what I'd do if I were in John MacArthur's situation, and I want to give him all the mercy and grace. I mean, he's fighting some pretty funky corruption in L.A. County, but I, I, I don't know. I, I read this, and I struggle, and I'm praising God that I'm not in this situation, that I don't have to work through this text. Can you imagine me going through this text right now if we were in the same situation as Grace Community Church, if, if uh, Lincoln County was, was coming after us for holding service? I mean, I would be wrecked. I wouldn't be able to go to sleep and wake up on Tuesday. I, I wouldn't sleep. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to deal with it. None of these situations is ideal. And yet in every situation, Jesus is telling us, respond with grace. Respond with more than you're asked. So friends, I request plead with you to meditate on these words. Pray that God would work them into your heart, not as law like the Pharisees took an eye for an eye, right? Retaliation is totally legal. That's not, what Jesus, that's not what God meant when he inspired those words. Jesus is telling us that's wrong. But these things are not law in the sense that you have to do specifically this. How weird would it be if you get sued for, for like doing... doing um, doing something illegal, and then you decide to buy the guy a cloak. That's not what we're talking about here. This, this <laughs> guy takes from you your shirt, and you're like, oh, okay, man, now i got to go find a cloak. We're not talking about that. But, but, but this is not something that you must do, but instead it's an attitude of willing joy despite circumstances, isn't it? Somebody sues you. There's no happiness in being sued, and yet there's an abiding joy in the fact that God, God is going to make sure that justice truly happens. Jesus did that for us by coming, living, dying, raising from the grave. And, uh, and, and we, honestly, as Christians, we should be the target of ruthless worldly vengeance. But we're often not. We deserve, as, as sinners, we deserve swift justice by God, and yet we're so often given sweet mercy. Such was the attitude of our Lord, who went to the cross in our stead, who took punishment instead of us. 
Listen, God will get the final judgment. Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is his, not ours. Retaliation is not ours. Instead, our response should be humility. Jesus trusted his Father, and so should we. When we suffer injustice, we shouldn't strike back, but instead we submit to the will of God. We assuredly will long for justice in this life, but we're not meant to get it here. We're meant to get vindication from God. So how, how might you apply these things, right? How might you not retaliate? What are you in your life so irked by that you feel the need to retaliate in order to fashion, create, manifest justice because it ain't coming quick enough? What, what, what is it in your life, right? Some of us are prone to be truth warriors or justice seekers. Some of us are internet trolls, I can guarantee it, where, where we, we look at things online and we just, we, we need others to know this. And so we're, since this other person's doing this wrong, I'm going to do a wrong back. We should repent of that attitude. And honestly, I don't know how the Lord is going to apply this to you. Where, where is it in your life that you are trying to fashion your own justice? And the reality is that nowadays Christians are more recognized for what they're against instead of what they're for. That's not what the gospel is about. It's really not. The gospel is about, not about my victory. The gospel really is about Christ's victory over sin and death. We who know Jesus get to reap benefits of this through Jesus' kindness, through God's own suffering, right? He suffered injustice from us and for us. So instead of us trying to fight against everything, we should be willing to be trampled on, if God so wills. In the Apostle Peter's words, and these are, these are some of my favorite sentences in the Bible because it, 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 it is so antithetical to my own heart that it almost hurts to read these words. And I can hear in my mind an almost air of sarcasm when Peter writes these. But, but Peter writes this. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that real? God, why am I going through this? Why am I suffering this? Why is this happening to me? Peter says, stop self-pitying and just recognize that, that this is not strange, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Doesn't feel like it. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of our God? That's 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 17. So, what should we glean from this? It's that a Christian should not seek their own justice, but should repay injustice with willing submission and forgiveness, entrusting final justice to God. Do not retaliate. This week, 
somebody says something mean about you, don't say something mean back. Do not retaliate. Somebody defames your name, do not retaliate. Somebody hits your car, do not retaliate. You don't throw a brick through their window just because they backed into your car. Not that anybody's done that, but... I mean, I spent time in Chicago, so... <laughs> but we should not retaliate. That's what a Christian does. So, let's pray. God, we want justice. What do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. That is our attitude. That is our heart attitude. That's shown by, by, by protesters, but it's also shown by us. We know that we want vengeance, that we want everything to go our way, to, to have, have things, to have wrongs righted, and yet, Lord, that's not what you did. That's not how we should be living, and yet, we, it's, it's how we want to live. So God, please orient our hearts. May these words confront us, convict us, transform us, reminding us, not, not as something that we should do, but as something that you did, and therefore we do also. Lord, may we mirror you in these things. To your glory and honor and fame, may we suffer well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, the reason our message today is potentially one of the most dangerous, personally dangerous, is because these words of Jesus brought many a martyr, have killed countless Christians. They've killed them on this earth. They've lost justice on this earth, but they have not lost justice. God himself is justice. Rest in that. Go in peace.